0: You know, some of it is blind luck, some of it is stubbornness, some of it is my mother and father always told me I could do and be anything I wanted.
1: Failing. 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 We talk about failure. Some battles you feel
0: like you lost. And survival. Some battles you feel like you win. It's
1: tough. I had to make some tough (laughs) decisions. We've all faced failure, but what steps do we take to launch ourselves into success? I'm Sarah Brown. There is life achieve your dream and then what we do with them. And this is Failing Forward. Listeners, I am thrilled to announce that I have Betsy Ross on the show today. She is the president of Game Day Communications and she has an, an Emmy Award, which I wonder how many people in Cincinnati can say that they have an Emmy?
0: Probably more than you think. Uh, we, have some, we have some awesome journalists here, so... Uh,
1: uh i don't know i think that's pretty amazing anyway welcome i'm so glad that you you're i'm so Thank glad you that you're night. here today and we need to give us a, a shout out to kelly snyder who was the one who um suggested that you were on the show today your buddy
0: yeah it uh it is uh, very humbling to be on here i've uh, listened to several of the podcasts and uh sarah you do a great job it's uh it's interesting it's informative. You learn something every time i listen to it i learn something so um, thank you for having me
1: thank you okay let's give our listeners background where'd you grow up give us your family of origin
0: grew up not far from here in connorsville indiana which is about 40 45 miles as the crow flies from here um went to a one-room schoolhouse in fact i went to two one-room schoolhouses Um, Not that long ago, but uh, yeah, we had one-room schoolhouses. And so um, I went through the eighth grade to a one-room schoolhouse until I went to Connersville High School, which had 1,700 students, which was a culture shock just to walk into a big building with all these kids and all these rooms. But it was an amazing time to grow up. Um, I had, um, so many opportunities and I know that it was because of my education that, um, you know, I've been able to do anything that I've, uh, set out to, uh, after Connersville High School, I went to Ball State University, chirp, chirp, to, uh, get my undergraduate degree. And then after that, I got my master's degree at Notre Dame in communications.
1: Okay. That's badass. Both of those, Betsy, um, were you an only child? Do you have siblings?
0: I have an older sister, um, okay. Jeannie, who um, taught school. Uh, she taught elementary school, and then she got into special special education. And How much
1: older?
0: Uh, uh, she's 11 years older. And it was kind of a given that I was going to be a teacher, because my sister was a teacher, so I was going to be a teacher. And I always... Loved words. I loved to write. And I remember the day that I had it in my mind I wasn't going to be a teacher. And, and it was so strange. My sister was at the dentist, and she was having something done. And the um, receptionist was just making small talk to m- my mother and me. And she said to me, oh, are you going to be a teacher like your sister? And I said, no, I don't think so. And I remember that like it was yesterday and it was kind of like my declaration that, that, you know, I'm, I'm going to do something else. I'm going to do something with this writing bug that I've got.
1: Was your mom a teacher or your dad, a teacher?
0: um, Neither one. Uh, My, uh, my father, um, sixth grade education and his family uh, moved from Owsley County, Kentucky up to this area. My mother made it uh, through sophomore year of high school, and uh, she got married to my dad when she was 15. And uh, the great thing about my mother was that, A, she always told my sister and me to get our education. She, yeah. she taught me how to read. By the time I was three and a half, I was reading. Wow. Um, and she really drilled that. Her. her line was, you get an education, you don't ever have a man to tell you what to do. Uh, was her quote. Mm. And so be that as it may.
1: Uh, what yeah. was so let's let's let's. I that's so interesting to me, especially because I was just listening to um, a podcast on Dolly Parton. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, did your parents you said Kentucky was that like Appalachian Kentucky a little bit?
0: Absolutely. Owsley County, Kentucky is Daniel Boone Forest. Oh uh, my gosh. It, um, historically has the highest unemployment rate and my father and his brothers his family they went to school they had missionaries that came to owsley county because it was so in the backwoods yeah um that um he was taught by missionaries and you know by the time you're you're sixth grade seventh grade you know that Back then, you were old enough to go to work. Sure. So uh, he, he and his family came up to this area. Uh, my father worked for U.S. playing cards for a while and, you know, different jobs before they ended up in Indiana. And um, my mother, as I said, she always knew the value of education, even though she left um, her high school early. Cool thing about my mother was that she went back when she was 82 years old and got her GED, uh, which... Uh, no No uh, way. My my sister and I would always, as we were growing up, we'd say, mom, go back and finish. You know, it's only two years, knock it out. You know, you've got all these life experiences that you can throw in. And um, she never would never would until she got a job at my old high school, at High School, working in the cafeteria. Yes. And to continue her job at the cafeteria at my high school, she had to either have a high school equivalent or be working on her high school equivalent. So now she had a goal. She loved that job and she loved being around the kids so much that she had a goal to get that high school diploma. So she studied, she got her GED, she went to the graduation. She had the cap and gown. She walked in the auditorium, the whole shebang. And it was just amazing. 82 years old to be able to do that. But she had a goal and she had a reason to do it. And she did. That is so brave. Oh, it's, you know, it's amazing. And, um, you know, it just, that just kind of emphasized the value that she put on education that she gave to my sister and me um, but then she went ahead and, and, and completed it. But my sister was the first in our side of the family to graduate from college, so and I, I was the second.
1: So there's a big gap. Be- 11 years is a big gap between mm-hmm. the two of you. Are you close with your sister? Was your sister like a mother, or what was that like?
0: Well, by the time that I was, I was in first grade, she was a senior in high school. And seniors in high school don't want little brothers right. or little sisters tagging along, you know. And I was one of those that wanted to tag along, and that wasn't cool. Um, and then, of course, next, the next year, she went off to college. And then after she graduated from college, she went off to work. So um, we didn't really spend time together formative years. Yes. But I would say that in the last few years, we have gotten closer. She lives in South Bend. Okay. um so she's not close physically but um you know texting is a wonderful thing and mm-hmm. we text all the time we text about the reds we text about politics um we're probably closer now than we have been um, just because that you know it's let's face it it's so much easier to keep in touch with people now so yeah
1: yeah that's that's awesome yeah. Okay, so I love what you said about your mom saying, uh, get an education so you don't have to depend on a man. And what I think is <laughs> ironic is that you went into a man's profession. You want us to talk about that a little bit?
0: Now, I, I didn't really you know, wake up and say, oh, I'm going to do this because there aren't any women doing it. Um, as I said I I loved words and I loved writing and by the time I was in 6th grade I knew that I wanted to be in journalism.
1: Yeah. Somehow,
0: some form some way, you know, of course when I was in 6th grade there wasn't an ESPN, there wasn't all the social opportunities, social media opportunities, there wasn't this vast network of cable sports. Right. But I knew I wanted to be a journalist. I wanted to be a writer. And when I was in college, I had it in my mind that I wanted to be an investigative reporter for the Chicago Sun-Times. Okay. Because at that particular time in history, the Chicago Sun-Times was doing amazing investigative journalism. Okay. Give me
1: that year, those years.
0: Oh, it would have been mid, mid late 70s. Okay. Early 80s. Okay. Okay. And they were just doing great investigative work. And I said, I'd like to do that. Um, And then my um, senior year of college, um, I was getting my, I was getting a teaching certificate to go with my journalism major, just to have it. Okay. And so you always student teach if you're getting your teacher certificate. So uh, Ball State was on quarters at the time. And so spring quarter, my senior year last year on. Um, they let me go back to my high school, Connorsville High School, to do my student teaching. And they said, you can teach um, two classes in journalism and two classes in English, because that was my minor. Mm-hmm. And I said, just between the two of us, I'm never going to teach English, so what else you got? <laughs> said, well, um, Connersville High School has a radio and television class. They have a daily TV news broadcast that they broadcast, you know, within the high school. Said, you want to teach radio and television? I said, sure. How hard can it be? Never having, of course, taken a radio and television class, I was I was at Ball State before David Letterman um that's what built I was wondering. An amazing facility there. So I was right. I was before that. So I taught two classes in journalism and two classes in radio and television. And like I would read the radio and television book the day before I was. Oh my gosh. Oh my
1: gosh.
0: But I worked with these kids and we would go out and we would shoot stories and we would come back and we would edit them and then we'd produce them. We would put them on the air and I had the time of my life. I enjoyed it so much. And I go, great. It is the last quarter of my last year in college And I found something that really trips my trigger, and it really did. And so that's when I said, okay, how am I going to get into television? So turned around, went to Notre Dame, and um, got my master's degree in communication arts. And the cool thing about it was that so many of my professors at Notre Dame were adjunct, and they had either just retired from or were still doing what I wanted to do. The guy who taught advertising was an advertising executive in South Bend. The gal who was teaching creative writing had just retired from St. Martin's press as an editor. And she was writing her own movie of the week script. I was when they had ABC movies of the week. Yeah. And so like every day in class, she would come in and talk about the negotiations between her and ABC and the producers and all that stuff and getting this movie on. And another guy had just left ABC News in New York, and he was teaching television. So I got such great instruction because all these people were still connected to the business that I wanted to get into. And then at the time, Notre Dame owned the NBC affiliate in South Bend, and the station was right there on campus. So we used that for our campus station. So I got to really learn at a real commercial station, which was a, a so great when opportunity. when did you
1: realize that you, I loved your comment of it really tripped my trigger. When did you realize the sports piece? Because you said you wanted to do Chicago Sun-Times. Yeah. But you well, took the the avenue of sports, right?
0: Well, I again, I'd, I'd always loved sports. Uh, yeah. My m- mother and I would be there in front of the television on new year's day and we would watch the cotton bowl and then we would watch the sugar bowl and then we would watch the rose bowl and then we would watch the orange bowl because there were only four then but we would sit there at new year's day my dad would go hunting he didn't necessarily want to watch football but my mother and i would sit there and watch sports and i really got my love of sports uh from my mother and so I loved sports, but at that particular time in our history, I couldn't see a connection between doing what I wanted to do yeah. and being in sports because I didn't see any women right. who were doing what I wanted to do. And, and I, I tell this story all the time that the, the first time that I saw somebody who was doing what I wanted to do was when I watched Phyllis George on CBS Sports. Okay. Um, The NFL Today pregame show. And she would do a feature story every week on some player, which, you know, today it it happens all the time. But back then pregame show used to be like five minutes or 15 minutes before kickoff. NFL Today all of a sudden was a half hour. And so they had time to fill. So they had Phyllis George doing a feature on some player. And this was really the first time that we got to see players Especially football guys, without their helmets and without these shoulder pads, and we got to see them as as fathers and husbands, and they worked the ranch and they had other jobs and they did other things, and so we really got to know them as people. Yeah. Uh, and Phil George was the first one that I saw that made me think, oh wait, hey. I could tell stories like that. Mm. And, you know, Lord knows I wasn't going to be Miss America, but I liked sports. And so she was really one of the first that I saw that helped me put together my love of journalism and my love of sports and really showed me that that could be done. Because even today, I always tell kids, I said, there's something to be said about seeing someone who looks like you doing what you want to do totally agree. There's something very powerful because when you see somebody who looks like you doing that, you think, I can do it too.
1: Yeah. It imprints in your mind and your mind believes that you can do it too. I totally agree.
0: Yeah.
1: Okay. So you go, you go through graduate school at Notre Dame, which I wanted to go down a whole tangent of Did like, I would have been scared about, could I get into Notre Dame? but. (laughs) Seems like <laughs> that wasn't a big deal. So then, what what do you do when you graduate?
0: Well, it it, it never works this way. Um, I had been, again, because we had a commercial station on campus. Yeah, um, I could go in and make resume tapes. That's when you made resume tapes, and then you sent them off. Yes. You had a big three quarter inch cassette, and you made a resume tape, and then you sent it off. And so I was um, sending off these tapes. And I got a bite from a news director in Fort Wayne. And he wanted to see an updated resume tape. I, I couldn't get into the studio at, at uh, WNDU. They were jammed and I couldn't get in. So I cold called the station that was, I was living in Elkhart, Indiana at the time, and there was a station in Elkhart, WSJB. I cold called them and I said, you don't know me, but I'm a—I'm a poor graduate student in Notre Dame and I need a resume tape. Can I come over some afternoon and use 10 minutes of your studio time and do a resume tape? You know, do an anchor bit. Yeah, sure. Come on over. They were kind enough to do it. So I go over. I do some anchor reading. I do like a fake news report out in the field, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So I'm getting ready to send us off to Fort Wayne. And I do it, and the news director there, before I leave, he said, Mayor. And I go, yeah. Mm -hmm. Phil Engel, um, another Ball State boy, who, uh, legendary in Indiana broadcasting, and especially Northern Indiana broadcasting. He said, do you really want to go to work in Fort Wayne? And I go, well, no, but they were the ones who actually got back to me and said they wanted to see another tape. And he goes, hang in there. There may be an opening coming up at our station. My gosh. I go, okay, all right. Um, As it worked out, they were um, reassigning their female reporter that they had. And he, like the next week or so offered me the job. So I graduated from Notre Dame on a Thursday and I started my television career the following Monday. Never, never happens. It never happens.
1: Okay. So you go there, you work there for how long?
0: Yeah, about three years.
1: Okay. And then what are you setting your sights on next?
0: Well, I always wanted to. Um, I always wanted to come back to the Cincinnati market.
1: Okay.
0: Uh, you know, even though we were in Indiana, we always watched Cincinnati television, and so uh, I always wanted to come back to my home area, and so I um, kept sending tapes and kept sending tapes, and I got a bite from um, WCPO, mm-hmm. and Al Shalakati asked me to come down and interview, so I come down. And um, he made me sit in the lobby for two hours before the interview. Um, but I finally got in and he said, we have two openings. We have a reporter's opening and we have a producer's opening. The producer's opening pays more. I said, I'll take the producer's opening. I have no idea why I said that, except <laughs> he said it pays more. Right. Uh, because I really hadn't produced. But again, how hard can it be, right? Right. And so, uh, uh, I took the producer's job. It was producing the uh, morning cut ins and the noon show. And then I would fill in anchor if somebody was on vacation or sick. Yeah. So, that was my introduction to um, television in Cincinnati. And now uh, I've done a tour of Channel 9, done a tour of Channel 5. I'm presently now at Fox 19. So, the only place I haven't worked is Channel 12. So, got three out of the four.
1: So, you then go to Indianapolis, Mm -hmm. and then you, it says, Anchor Sports Channel America? Yes. What's, okay, that's now part of Fox. uh,
0: Yes, Sports Channel America, um, if you're familiar with um, Fox Cincinnati, Fox, or Fox Ohio.
1: Yeah. Fox Fox
0: Sports Chicago, Fox Sports Bay Area. Uh, Back in the day, uh, those were all Sports Channel regionals. And so Sports Channel America was kind of the network. And all these regionals um, would show, you know, like Fox Sports Ohio shows the Reds game. After the Reds game, then they would switch to Sports Channel America, us, and then we would have a, a sports center type show and we would do highlights of, you know, everything that was going on in sports that night. So it was, it was kind of a, a sports, it, it sports nightly is what we called it. Okay. But so it was, that,
1: that's really where you got a lot of the experience that you then went and used at ESPN.
0: Right. That was the first time that I worked full time in sports when I okay. was in Indianapolis so much of what Indianapolis does is sports. Um, <sighs> you know, the Amateur athletic capital of the country. When I was there, they were the hosts for the Pan American games. So, so much of what is news in Indianapolis is sports. So I had a lot of good sports stuff on my resume reel. And um, so I had the opportunity to go to Sports Channel America and I was an anchor there for almost a year. Uh, But that was the first time that I worked full-time in sports. And I have Donald Trump to think about that.
1: Are Um, you ready? I'm sorry. Are you ready? I'm ready. Please. All right.
0: (laughs) So Jimmy Cephalo, who uh, played for Miami Dolphins and went to work for NBC News. uh, NBC was part owner, half owner of Sports Channel So, Jimmy Cephalo was working for NBC News and Sports Channel America. So, at this particular time, uh, Donald Trump had just opened uh, his casino in New Jersey. And to promote the casino, he started a game show that would be at the Trump Casino in New Jersey, in Atlantic City. And Jimmy Cephalo left his job at Sports Channel America to go be the host of the Trump game show. So that was the vacancy that I took when Jimmy Cephalo left. I took his job at Sports Channel America. So there you go. It is a small world.
1: Whoa. (laughs) So, okay. Can I ask you a question? You seem like you've always been bold and never really afraid of anything.
0: I think that it's, you know, some of it is blind luck. Some of it is stubbornness. Some of it is my mother and father always told me I could do and be anything I wanted. And I believe them. And I honestly believe them. Um, When I was in graduate school, I went to a White Sox game at Old Comiskey Park. And it was the White Sox and Kansas City and White Sox weren't doing that well, so we had good seats, and we were sitting there in first baseline, and the broadcast team from Kansas City, obviously two guys, the broadcast team from Kansas City was on the field pre-game doing a preview of the night's game, and I'm sitting there watching that, and I'm going, I could do that. I could do that, not thinking that no, you no. they don't hire girls to do play-by-play in color for Major League Baseball. But I said to myself, I could do that. I would like to do that. And so every time to this day, every time that I am on a field, whether it's Paul Brown Stadium or whether it's at the Horseshoe in Columbus or whether it's at Great American Ballpark and I am on that field, Doing a pre-game or a post-game wrap-up, I think about that college student at Comiskey Park that had this wild idea that I could do that, and you know, I I just I just
1: did it. I think like you've you have talked about your mom, your mother. I love that you call her my mother so fondly, and it sounds like she, it sounds like she really gave you so many gifts.
0: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. She, you know, she gave my sister and me both independence and um she taught us the value of that education. Uh and and we both know that we we couldn't be and have accomplished anything that we have done without that education and she taught us that value right away and and um My father passed away in 1978. Okay. And my mother lived another 30, 35 years before she passed away. But to see her blossom, and it's nothing against my father, nothing against their marriage. Yeah. But she got married at a time when you acquiesced. Yes. You did what? your husband told you my mother got $10 a week from my father and that's what she used to buy groceries with and whatever needed, uh, you know, to put the dollar down on the layaway for the winter coat Mm -hmm. that you laid away in August. So, you know, you would have it paid off by the time winter came. Um, but that was what she was raised to be. Yes. Um, and when my father passed away and I, re- I remember sitting in the basement talking to her and she goes, you know, everybody wants me to, because we lived out in the country. And she goes, everybody wants me to sell this place and move into town. She says, I don't want to sell this place. I said, don't then. I said, there's no reason that, you know, just because everybody else lives in town. Don't stay out here. You're independent. We're here. We're, to, we're here to help. And um, just to see her blossom. And really come into her own uh, at the, you know, the the second stage of her life, I guess, the second act of her life. It was so rewarding. And, um, you know, so many, so many kids that, you know, when I would go up to Cairnsville High School, separate from, you know, visiting my mother or something. And the kids would say, are you Mrs. Ross's daughter? Oh, my God. Oh, my word. We love her. Blah, blah, blah. You know, I was nothing. I was nothing <laughs> compared to my mother out there. Did so. she?
1: So did she see you? I, obviously, with the the job at ESPN, but the Emmy, like, what were the big things that she got to maybe live vicariously through you?
0: Uh, she got to see me at ESPN. Um, uh, you know, she thought it was cool because I I lived in Connecticut and um kathy lee gifford lived in connecticut so it was okay that i lived in connecticut because kathy lee was there so you know it, it, thinking that i would run into her at the grocery I store. i was just
1: and, gonna say and yeah, she probably yeah. thought that you and kathy lee were friends
0: absolutely that we would right. have coffee in the morning Right. but it was right. okay that i lived in connecticut because kathy lee so um you know she got to see that and she got to um you know when i came back and and started our company uh, it was it was it was a little bit difficult for her to understand what i was doing but she knew that you know it, it it was important and then i was still on fox 19 she she could see me she could see she the could television see stuff you. she could yeah she could see the the fox 19 stuff but you know i think that um and and when when someone would say to her you know talk to her about my being on ESPN and all that stuff. And she goes, well, I've got another daughter, too, and she teaches special education. And, you know, what Jeannie does is important. And, and I said, yes, it is. I mean, you know, of course, every, everything balanced, being a special ed teacher, being a teacher at anything at this stage of the game, being oh. a teacher is so much more important than my sitting there reading scores.
1: Well, um, I don't know if it's less important. I think it's I think it's all important. Okay, so I am curious, because I don't know this. So why do you leave ESPN? Why do you start game day?
0: Well, um, it is kind of a cliche, but um, it was because of 9-11. Oh. And I was flying back and forth every time I had two days off. Uh, okay. And ESPN was so good about giving me either Wednesday, Thursday or Thursday Fridays off because I taught at Xavier on Thursday nights. So they would give me days off around Thursday so I could come back, fly back here, teach my class at Xavier, you know, do all the things you do on your days off, go to the dry cleaners and all that stuff. And, um, you know, I, I knew that I couldn't do that forever. And my mother was getting older. She was in her early 80s by then. And, uh, I knew that I needed to, uh, you know, get back. Uh, but you know, I was, I was in my second contract at ESPN. I was anchoring sports center. You know, that's kind of what you want to do Yeah, if you're in sports. That's what you want to do. And then nine 11 happened. And, um, it caused me and thousands of others to look around and say, what am I doing in my life? What am I doing? Um, I knew that um, it was more important for me to to get back home and 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 take care of my mom and and you know, really look at what I wanted to do other than you know, give scores, that there was something else out there. And I think that what we are going through now, I think there are parallels to that. I think that during these six months, people have looked around and they say, what am i doing and why am i living where i'm living and why don't i go where i want to live because we've proven that we can work from just oh, about right. anywhere yeah. i think that we will go through that again i think we will see that again during this time that people will reevaluate what they're doing and say you know what life is too short i i want to do x has I there to- been
1: any of evolution for you during this time have
0: you, um, you know, other than you know, just kind of going through this evolution, if you will, with our clients, because it's it's new to us all. Yeah. Um, you know, when you do a, a virtual event, well. Will this work? Will that work? Well, who knows? Cause nobody's done a virtual event before. So let's throw it up on the wall and see what sticks. And if it sticks, good, yeah. we'll do it again. We'll come up with a template and then we can use it again and again for other clients. Um, I think that in, in, in the one thing about this is we have been so blessed with our clients who have been open to change, to pivoting, to doing something else, to you know, go into the virtual world because we have no other choice right now. Yeah. And so we've been, just been so fortunate to have clients who will say, "Yeah, let's try it. Why well, yeah. not?" And 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 again, there's no blueprint for it. We're making it up as we go, just like everybody else. But I think that it's just been such an awakening that, you know, why do I drive two hours to go to Columbus for a two-hour meeting? Then we sit and have lunch, and then I get back in the car at two o'clock, and then I drive back home. Yeah. Guess what? You don't have to do that anymore.
1: Nope.
0: You don't have to do it anymore. So so, you know who ordered Zoom until now, and now everybody's on Zoom Zoom
1: and Teams. Yeah, Betsy. What about um, you know because you guys are so in touch with sports, but. Any uh, innovations or future trends that are going to bubble up in the sports arena because COVID is forcing us to think and to do things differently?
0: Well, I think that um, sports will become more interactive for those of us sitting on our couches. Um, I think
1: that... What do you uh, mean by that? What does that mean?
0: I mean that there will, there will be some way, and, and teams have played with this before, but, you know, the big winner in all of this is going to be technology, because we have to embrace technology now, because that's all we got, right. and so that's going to be the big winner in all of this, so, you know, like, maybe I'm home, and I'm watching Monday Night Football, well, Monday Night Football already can give me three or four different channels, and three or four different angles of what I wanted to watch, so I can pick, Do I want to listen to the overall broadcast? Do I want to listen to the home team broadcast? Do I want to listen to the visitors team broadcast? Do I want to just have natural sound and listen to the coaches? Maybe I can, you know, listen to the coaches talk. So I've got options there. You know, uh, they're in in spring training and in preseason games. You know, they they tell fans to, okay, uh, pick the next play and you get on your Facebook page or whatever, and you vote for what the next play should be. And then the team does. Um, I think that there will be all kinds of opportunities and you see this uh, a lot within the new stadiums. And when people get back, there are so many different interactive things that you can do. I think that gaming is going to be not just um, e-sports gaming, but gambling, gaming—yes, that's going to happen. Um,
1: I've—I heard that there's been an uptick in that.
0: Well, I think that um, um, when I can't go to the game, the only way I'm going to stay interested in it is if I have, you know, a couple of quid on it, and then I'll sit and watch. Um, Art Schleister, whom we all know his history, um,
1: I. I I'm sorry, Working, wait. Uh, I don't. I don't even know who that is. Oh, Arch Schleister. Okay. I'm sure um, people are like Sarah. You're a dumb dumb.
0: <laughs> Arch Schleister, uh, famous Ohio State quarterback. Okay. Okay. Um, the uh, bright future that he had derailed by gambling. Oh. Uh, okay. Multiple times, he'd get a second chance and a third chance, and it would it would be blown up by gambling. Um, and I did a radio show with him one time, and and he said, I can't watch a football game. This being an Ohio State quarterback star. Yeah. He said, I can't watch a football game unless I've got money on it. Uh, A lot of people are like that. Um, I think that you will see gaming um, in the stadiums, one of these days, eventually, when you go to Wembley Stadium, if anybody went to the uh, Cincinnati Bengals games at Wembley Stadium the last few years, there yeah. are betting windows at the stadium. Now, that's for soccer. It's not for us. They were closed when the oh, okay. was yeah. But it's for soccer. And you can bet during the game. You can bet at halftime. You can bet, you know, and I think that will be something that we will see more and more of not just you know online betting I mean you can bet through your app now and you can do that kind of stuff you can bet through DraftKings and FanDuel but I think that it will be more league centric okay. because you know the National Football League doesn't want all this gambling money to go just to FanDuel and DraftKings they want to cut of it too so they're going to try to figure it out so I think that gaming both in esports uh, and uh, gaming, as in putting money down on a professional game, I think that will be explosive. And esports really are perfect for the pandemic because yeah. you play it in front of your computer in the basement of your house. Do you and think?
1: Do you think we'll ever get back to where we were before, with um, you know, going to stadiums and things like that?
0: We will because there's still nothing like being there
1: yeah yeah
0: I was you know the Bengals did not allow fans for their first game Um, I work for the Jungle Vision staff uh, at the Bengals games yeah so I was able to be in that stadium for Joe Burrow's first game Mm. and um, it it you know, there's nothing I'll, like I'll, it. I'll tell people 20 years from now I was there. Now, there'll be 60,000 people who will say that they were at their that game when there were only about 600, but I have pictures <laughs> to prove it. I was there. Um, but there's still nothing like being at that game. And you have seen the new stadiums, which are palaces now. Um, the other night, the Las Vegas Raiders unveiled their new stadium, which is... Unbelievable, Jerry's World, AT and T Stadium in Dallas, unbelievable. Um, the new stadium in Atlanta, unbelievable. Um, it's it's a place where you go, and oh, by the way, there's a game going on. Yeah, um, you know, it's it, an
1: experience. It's an it amusement I mean, park on its own.
0: AT and T Stadium you walk around and you look at the artwork and you look at all the other stuff going on and you're sitting there, and we had seats maybe 15 rows from the field. Great seats, 40 yard line, but you still find yourself looking up and watching the big screen. And I mean the big screen from the 30 yard line to the 30 yard line. You catch yourself sitting there watching the football game on the big screen instead of watching it on the field because the big screen is so big. It's the 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 stadiums are just upping the ante because they know they got to fight to get you there yeah. because the beer is a lot colder and it's a lot cheaper in your living room. And the parking is a lot cheaper in your living room. And so they've got to really gussy it up to get you off that couch to get to that stadium.
1: So... I want to close with some advice that you can give listeners, because I'm going to go back to trips my trigger. I love that. What, um, what have you taught students or what did your, maybe I want to bring it back to your mom, your mother, because you love her so much. It's so sweet. Uh, listeners, if you could see Betsy's face when she talks about her mom, it's like the best smile. Um, what do you suggest to people to really find out what trips their trigger or what, how they discover their passion?
0: Oh, don't say no to anything. Try it. Um, you know, I was working part time, or I was working at the South Bend Tribune newspaper when I was going to school at Notre Dame, and you know, I kept asking people, you know, well, what, what if I, what if I leave newspaper, a nice solid business profession at that particular time at that time at that time uh and go into television and you know and, and people say well what happens if you don't you know don't be sitting on your rocking chair when you're 80 and and wish that you had have tried and i think that you know finding your passion and finding your voice is so important and and you you mentioned my emmy and that was i I got that from the Lauren Hill basketball game. And if you remember the story of Lauren Hill, um, she was a high school basketball player in Lawrence Lawrenceburg, Indiana, and had the opportunity to play college at Mount St. Joe. And her senior year of high school, you know, she was slow and she and and you know the ball was bouncing off her noggin or coaches yelling at her like what's going on what's wrong with you blah 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 it comes to find out she has a brain tumor yeah and and so um DIPG and we've all heard that and we've all heard the story and you know what the outcome is you know what the end game is
1: yeah
0: and she's 18 years old and she could have sat there and go, why me? Feel sorry for herself. But she had the vision and the tenacity to say, I'm going to take this and I'm going to make something of it. And so she went to Mount St. Joe. They did the layup for Lauren challenge, mm-hmm. uh, similar to the ice bucket challenge yeah, yeah. at the same time. Layup for Lauren. And so... People around the country did layups for Lauren to raise money for DIPG research. She goes to Mount St. Joe. All she wants to do is play one college game, one college game. So Mount St. Joe says, okay. Their first college game was against Hiram College. Hiram College says, yeah, we'll move it up because they weren't sure how long Lauren would be able to play. Yeah, The NCAA, and all their wisdom, finally agreed to something and said, yes, we'll let you move up the game. So they moved it up to early November. Of course, as soon as they announced the game, it was sold out. Mm. Cintas Center, Xavier University said, come on and play it over here. 10,000 people immediately sold out. We televised the game. I worked the uh, sideline that game and interviewed you know so many people half of the indiana pacers half of the indiana fever came Pat summit came oh my gosh um you know the the half of the tennessee her lady volunteer team they came to the game for high school coach you know it was one of pat summit's last appearances in public Mm. and pat gave her an award but I always said that I'll never meet anybody like Lauren Hill in my life because she was 18 years old. She knew how this was going to end, but she saw what her purpose could be. And, you know, over that year, year and a half, two years, she did everything she could to raise awareness for DIPG and raise money. And instead of feeling sorry for herself, she went out there and she got to play that first game and she got to play two or three more after that. But to be eighteen years old and have that wisdom and have that clarity, to be able to do that, I, I'll never be anybody like her. And winning that Emmy for covering that game, it, it, it's it's more of a testimony to her, and her life, and what she did with her eighteen years. That you know it, it is it is still part of the legacy of. Um, so much of what goes on here and they still raise money for dipg and every year on um mile 22 of the flying pig marathon because her number was 22 on mile 22 we do a layup for lauren um her family her family and um the the charity does a layup for lauren uh, so people remember her on mile 22 Ugh.
1: I'm. I mean, I just cried over that one. Well, uh,
0: when, she she she's special. Her family, her, her mom and dad, are just special people, and um, you know, find so your purpose.
1: Can I just one more question about Lauren? So, you interviewed her, but it sounds like you got to know her a little bit more than just an interview.
0: I I got to, I got to talk to her. I got to talk to her parents more than anything. Yeah. Um her parents would. Um, uh, come over to the flying pig office, for example, uh, when we'd be over there, um, they'd be picking up stuff um, for, to get ready for the layup for Lauren. Um, and, uh, it, a couple of three charity things. I would, I would talk to her parents and we'd talk Indiana basketball because that's what you do when you're from Indiana. You talk, right, right. you talk Indiana high school basketball. So we did that. Um, but, um, you know, they, they knew what the end game was too, but they, they knew that her legacy could be so much more. And um, to put that aside and, you know, get through the, the teenage angst and to work for the better good. And so, you know, I, I have that Emmy more as a tribute to her than anything else, but it, it kind of goes back to your original um, question about, you know, what advice do you have? And, You know, it's it's try anything and everything because you never know what's going to trip your trigger. If I had never said to my college counselor, put me in radio and TV, I would have never had that experience. And I know and I would never have had that world open up to me because back then, journalism and radio and TV were church and state. You didn't like each other. They weren't together. Uh, on college campuses, uh, you know, and now colleges put them together and, yeah. you know, the college of information and media uh, and ball state was one of the first ones to do that, put together the, the TV people, video people, you know, whatever you want to call it now, streaming um, and journalism. Ball state was one of the first to put up together, kicking and screaming. They went together, but let's face it, you know, that, the, Uh, just because you're a writer doesn't mean these days that you'll never do video and just because you shoot a camera doesn't mean you're not going to write because you're going to write a blog you're going to write something for a website either way and so you want
1: to know something that I can't get out of my mind um, when I first said to you I don't even know if we were recording yet, but, um, so listeners, Betsy has her Emmy sitting on top of her mantle (laughs) and it, and I, I, am so brain dead. I can't remember if I said this when we recorded or not, but I was like, Oh my God, it's like your little angel up there. And (laughs) after you told that Lauren story, it kind of is.
0: Yeah.
1: I mean, she was something.
0: She, she, she was, she, uh, she did so much more in her 18 years than most of us will, will do and make a difference. But I love
1: that you could shine the light on that. And I love that you gave that story as a great example of, of figuring out your passion. That was perfect. And,
0: And I think that during this time that we've sat at home and we've kind of looked within ourselves I think this is a good time for so many of us to really look around and see what our passion is. And now we have that opportunity to do something about it.
1: I like, I I can't even tell you, my cells are jumping in my body because I 100% agree with you. So uh, thank you. Your interview is a gift. I loved that story about your mom and about Lauren and the 9-11 thing. I never knew that. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I just knew I needed to get back home. And, you know, I I left ESPN and, you know, came here and, and and started the company. And my my standard joke is if I knew I was going to own a company, I would have taken a business class somewhere along the way. I didn't. Very lucky that my business partner did. So, but you know, I just I just knew I needed to get back. And 9/11 was one of these introspective times and I think this time is another introspective time for so many of us.
1: You are awesome. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. I want to thank everyone behind the scenes, especially Adrienne Donica and the team at Gwyn Sound. Also, please find us on social media outlets at Fail Forward Pod.